Welcome to Be Insanely Great. I saw, I saw I saw Yoda in the back of a car looking at me as I was driving, you know, one of those figurines. And, and I'm like, well, you know, Yoda, what, what's how you how's Yoda spelled in Star Wars? Y-O-D-A or something? Yeah, Yoda in Yoda years is Y-O-T-T-A. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just in case people, you know. Uh, okay, you, yeah. But, um, <laughs> we start with John Rahm, Masters Champion. John Rahm, Masters Champion? Congratulations, John Rahm. One who has said, I am where I am because I dream it and I believe it. And then you do it. You make choices to make it happen. Yes. Oh, congratulations. So happy for you. And then Jim Nance in the, in the after show, the caddy was wearing 4-9. And it happened to be April 9th, the day that he won. And it was also Easter Sunday, which was one of the previous Spaniards champions days that he had won. And it was also one of the previous Spaniards birthdays that, that he had won. That's quite a few synchronicities, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that and, and simply celebrate and congratulate John Rahm for his incredible master's win over the weekend, going through surviving the, the rain and torrential downpours to come out ahead and, 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 and come from behind and, and achieve the champion Get the green jacket. Get that green jacket. Got that green jacket by daring to dream and believing. He also, John Rahm also says that he plays his best golf when he's happiest. When he's happiest outside of golf, that's when he said he plays his best golf. And I mean, you know, talk about him when he sank that last putt and he was celebrating, you know, it was a perfect sunset. I mean, the sun was shining at a perfect angle to come in and, and, and light that entire, uh, that entire, you know, feeling and, and, and the feeling you could feel. And when they replayed it over and over and over again, that time in which they sunk the putt, everybody celebrating. And, and that's happens in all that happens for all of us. When, when we, when we have something of, of achievement and we're supported and surrounded by people that, that, that we love, that love us. Right. And, and, and daring to dream and then, and then believing and then, and then making choices in every moment to contribute to what that dream is and to fulfill that dream. Right. And I only got to watch that because I had recorded 60 minutes on my DVR. And I was watching the ma- I was watching the Masters earlier in the day with my wife. And there was a lot of commentary. I like listening to the Cardinals chirp and the and watching the greens and you know the the full the the the, the wonderful sound of, of of a golf club hitting a hitting a golf ball with with full like energy. But there's a lot of people talking, so I just turned it off and you know went about my day. And then and then the next day I turned on 60 Minutes because it was talking about the origin of everything. There was a special on 60 Minutes on Sunday that talked about the origin of everything, and it happened to capture the last moments of the Masters tournament, which I just you know re re <laughs> retold re, re as 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 to many of many of you will probably already know, or those that don't watch golf now you know. John Rahm's the Masters Champion for 2023. Congratulations. And so let's get into the origin of everything, 60 minutes. James Webb Telescope took 25 years to develop, was deployed into the depths of space on, on Christmas Day 2021. And they've said that it will be in space for probably 25 years, trying to go to the origin of the Big Bang. So far, a year and a half in, they have discovered that where they thought were just stars are in in our space in our you know space 
but they're galaxies. Like they have one view in which it's 130,000 galaxies and each one of these galaxies is made of billions of stars. What? First of all, all right, then we're going out, we're spending decades to, to, to build a wonderful piece of machinery to send out into space to go look so far out to the beginning of time. And we're not really kind of looking in here. Maybe, you know, can we, can we try that every once in a while? Maybe we'll find something. As Einstein says, imagination is everything and logic only takes you from A to B. Imagination is the language of the soul. Anyways, back to James Webb. So James Webb Telescope is out there. What they've found so far a year and a half in is they found, they found the, for, for right now, the, the oldest galaxy they can find is this red galaxy that's 100 times less massive than our Milky Way. 33 billion light years away from us was created 320 million years after the Big Bang is what they say. They can do all these measurements. They can do, figure out all these things. And what they've measured on this galaxy is that even though it's 100 times less massive than our Milky Way, it produces stars. Oh, also the scientists in the special said it has a heartbeat. It has a heartbeat. It has a heartbeat and it's producing stars at the same rate as our Milky Way galaxy, even though it's 100 times less massive. Isn't that incredible? To be able to look so far out, so far out, that something that's happening as far as we can see is so similar to something that happens every day in our own world that we have heartbeats and that, you know, if we're generate, if we, if we want to do a, a metaphor and our assimilation, it's, are, are our thoughts, are, are those the stars, you know, or are, what, what are these, what, what are we creating every day, right? If these galaxies are creating stars all the time, that happens with us. And, 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 and I, and I feel, I just feel, I feel it in my heart, feeling in my soul that we are so similar to that. And if we just give ourselves a chance, give ourselves a chance, give ourselves a chance to, to feel that as a potential. You don't have to know it, but you know, so, so, so many times we have to know things, right? We have to know things and we have to, we have to see it before we believe it. You know, Einstein has a quote. He said, everyone knew it was impossible until someone that didn't know came along and did it. Four minute mile. You know, that's an example. You know, there, there's all these things that happen out there because we're, we're, we're conditioned with, with all of these restrictions and all of these constraints and all of these limits. We just operate as we normally do. And we don't know any better. I mean, I, I, I think that's, that's the truth is that we generally just don't know any better. Right. And so if we gave ourselves a chance to kind of remove all of that and just be and just try and take everything at face value for as it is, and not so much as to how told it is, told it is and told that it should be, you know, give ourselves an opportunity to think about it. Give ourselves the opportunity to be in awareness, be in an awareness to say, hmm, let me think about this. Let me think about how that might work. So going back to James Webb. We talk about the fact there's this galaxy way out there, like literally the furthest galaxy that we can find that right now has a heartbeat and is generating stars at the same rate as our Milky Way galaxy, even though it's 100 times less massive, which is incredible. And when they're interviewing the, the, the head gentleman of, of the entire program, you know, he says he basically says, well, you know, all, all that we see is only 4% or 5% if we're lucky as to what we see. 95% is dark matter. So we don't even know. We don't even know. Like, that's it. We only see 5% of, of what of all that is. That's all we see. That's all we're able to kind of 
with 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 our with our light spectrum ability to transmute that into what we see, that's all we can see. So we don't know anything. <laughs> so instead of trying to know everything, can we? What if we started operating from feeling? What if we tried to? What if we just tried that? Try to operate from feeling, and try to connect with our intuition, and try to trust that. And so talking about something that's so big on such a massive scale as, as the universe, as, as to, you know, being in a place where there's 130,000 galaxies of billions of stars all around us, the head of the entire program says that. And he also says something which I thought was incredible as one of the closing statements. He said, we thought it was out there. We hoped it was out there. And now we see it. So these are scientists that need to see things to believe things. But if you listen to words, the words the gentleman just said, he says, we thought it was out there. We hoped it was out there. So had a thought, had a feeling of hope. And then they see it. Are they surprised? I'm not surprised. (laughs) They found found exactly what they were, what they had thought and what they had felt. They see it now. How incredible. How incredible. And we have something that's so massive and something that's so expansive. And then we have something so simple as the electron. I didn't know what an electron was. And, you know, I, I guess I, I'll say that I, I, I knew what one was when I was in school and I was tested on it. And I was forced to kind of have a definition. But I came across an article the other day published by scientists that have been working for decades to measure and find imperfections in the roundness of an electron. And these scientists are incredible to have achieved the feat of gaining a level of accuracy that if an electron was the size of Earth and there was an imperfection the size of a sugar crystal, it would find that imperfection. Isn't that incredible that we can measure to that level of accuracy? And you know what they found? They found that it's rounder than they thought. They found zero imperfections. They found that it is more perfect of roundness than they ever could have conceived. And their comments were, we're going to keep trying to find that imperfection. (laughs) You go do that. That sounds wonderful. So not only is an electron perfectly round as far as we can measure, but an electron also has... No mass. What does that mean, no mass? What is an electron? How does this even work? Why should I care about an electron? Well, an electron carries a negative charge, and an electron is is a critical element to literally everything that has mass has an electron paired with it. Anything that we see, anything that's in our in our universe has an electron that that is that is part of it, as in carries that negative charge. The, The the net total charge of the universe, as defined by science, is zero. So the electron carries a negative charge and protons and neutrons and, and, and all those other points make it to where it's always an equal amount. So there's always an equal amount of neutrons to, to, to offset those, those, those positive charges. So we have an electron that's perfectly round as far as we can measure. We have an electron that has zero mass as far as we can measure, where our entire world and everything we operate on is based on mass and, and forcing things and that kind of stuff. So we can't, when, 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 when an atom is measured, they don't even account for any weight of any electrons, no matter how many there are, there are when they, when they weigh, when they weigh atoms. And then guess where light comes from? As electrons go inward, they emit light. They give off energy. 
as an, as an inward towards the nucleus. And, and, as, and as electrons go outwards, they consume energy. They consume that, that energy that, that's around them. And so when people say, and, and it's a saying that happens often is, you know, oh, this person lit up the room. They were incredible, right? Oh my God, they were incredible. Like, how could that not be something similar that we can correlate and say that there's a similarity there, that something might be connected there, right? Da Vinci, one of the greatest artists of the last 500 years, he's probably still has the most famous painting, Mona Lisa, since, you know, he painted it 500 years ago, said, where the spirit and the hand do not work together, there is no art. Einstein says, where the Art is when one hand is in the universe and one hand is in this world, and we act as the conduit of passing energy. These people that are we classify as some of the most influential that have ever walked among us, they're saying all of these things, all of these things. And they're feeling all of these things. They're trying to, to, to express in words things that, that so many of us don't even come across in our lifetime unless unless we're open to it if we try just gave it the chance give it the chance to check that out you know einstein says imagination is the language of the soul if you look into that you'll find everything you need to be whole well he says fulfilled but it just came out in a way in which it rhymes so we'll go with that <laughs> but seriously that is incredible and to be in a world in which we have so much access to information to where we can pull all this stuff together and we can, we can create those webs of intertangled thought that, that essentially are saying the same thing. Everything is so simple, but we make it so complicated. And going back to relativity, any one of us that's in any situation in which we're having the time of our lives, do we go back and say, oh, that time of our lives was, you know, it was three hours. Oh, that was too long. No, we don't do that. We don't even think about time. So how do we get into more moments in which we're not thinking about time? I listened back to, to one of the previous episodes in which I talked about time and I mentioned time and, and said we'll talk about it in a later episode. And I think we'll just touch on it every, every once in a while. But, you know, time is something that is, is a human creation. It's a human thing that is very purposeful. It's it, within our society, at least to some extent, in which it, it's a record of when things happen. And it's as we're meeting and as we're, we, have, we have professions and, and certain things that we're trying to achieve, it absolutely has, a, a, has value, right? You know, another thing Einstein says is he says, he says uh, uh, try not to be a success, simply try to be of value. <sighs> so powerful. So many of us would just consider something like that. You know, we're always chasing success. But if along the way we could be valuable in, in, in more moments and be valuable on a daily basis and be valuable in, in what it is that we're doing and put intention and care into things. And, some, and, and I'm sure people are saying, well, I do that. I put intention and care in everything. Well, of course. I mean, no one's challenging that at all. We all want to believe that that's what we do. But if we really take time to think about it, are we? Are we giving it our best? Are we doing everything in that moment to be engaged with what it is? And I fail too, even in my experience, when I'm, when I'm so, so engaged in whether it's a conversation with a person or whether it's something that I'm, I'm watching or, or any of that. And I think a lot of people, a lot of us can feel this way. It's like, we remember those moments. We remember those moments. The unfortunate thing is, is we have so few positive engaging moments 
that the only engaging moments we remember are the ones that send us through hell. <laughs> are the ones that send us through struggle. Are the ones that send us with so much pain. Those are the ones we remember because we're engaged with them. But, but if we give ourselves a chance to choose to have more moments of, of engaging positive interaction, but in order to get there to be able to do that, I'll be the first to admit, I couldn't get there without finding stillness, without finding an opportunity in, in every day to be still for at least a few moments. And in stillness, out of stillness, inspiration sparks. And out of stillness, those things kind of come about. And, and it gives us an opportunity to be with our thoughts. And, and a lot of times we don't want to be with our thoughts, get away thoughts like you're aggravating the hell, hell out of me. Don't want your thoughts, you know, can't sleep because I got a million thoughts running through my head. That was me. hundred percent, hundred percent. Thankfully, not as much anymore, but it still happens on occasion. Right. And it's all about every day, every day, giving ourselves a chance to accept and recognize the small things that, 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 that we've either overcome or small things that, that we've achieved or the small things that we recognize in nature. If we're engaged with nature, and we're looking at flowers and, and even sometimes leaves on some, on some plants and some trees and watching for birds. We forget about things. We, we start to engage in that. We start to, we don't think about what time it is because we're appreciating what it is that's in front of us. And that could be our loved ones. That could be something that we're super passionate about. That is our calling. That's our vocation. That would, that's something that we want to do, something we believe in ourselves to be doing. Another great example of someone that's believed in themselves and 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 has and has made made such an incredible you know mark on this on society and and specifically in a community of of New York. There's this there's a show um, called Emergency NYC on Netflix. Incredible show. Ruthie Schatz and eighty, forgive me, like amazing. Thank you. Like and and the first one, Lennox Hill, that came out a few years ago, so great. Um, it's almost like a real life Chicago Med for those of you that know Chicago Med. Chicago Med, another great show. Thank you so much. And if you haven't watched it and don't want any spoilers, pause and then come back in a few seconds. Okay. But for those that either you know don't care, just want to hear what I have to say, or don't really care either way, here it goes. <laughs> so, so there was an element of that in that in the it was an eight part. It's an eight part series in which they're in with the the first responding medical staff and certain uh, certain departments within certain hospitals Lenox Hill Hospital Cohen's Children's Hospital in New York and then different kind of ride uh how how people get to the hospital so they have they they're they're watching the Sky Health which is does airlifts and then they have uh, uh an ambulance team incredible team I love them uh that 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 brings people to the hospital anyways so that's the context of the show in the show, there's there's this doctor. Uh, his name is Dr. David Langer. He's the chair of neurosurgery at Lenox Hill Hospital. He does some of the most complex uh, and and high risk surgeries within the the field of neurosurgery. And I was watching it this week, and they're chronicling the life, and and it's all reality. It's all real stuff. And he came out of Dr. Langer just had had a had a successful surgery with a child that had this his brain condition in which they had, there was a tumor and they had to remove it. And they, it was very, very high risk. And it was one of the, there's very few doctors in the world that would even do something like this, but Dr. Sean and Dr. Langer 
did it together and they came out of it. And it was so successful. And he said, he said, we have to celebrate these because Lady Luck gives you the other side of it. And, you know, you just don't know something like that. He definitely talked about Lady Luck. And <laughs> he definitely said, celebrate the good ones because you don't know what's going to come out on the other side. Another episode, fast forward, Dr. Langer had a skiing accident, face down in the snow for hours, waiting for the ski patrol to find him. Can't move his legs, can't feel his legs, I think. And he became the patient. He became the patient. He's sitting up in the, in the hospital bed, goes back to Lenox Hill, not afraid of what people might think, not afraid of what, fearless, fearless, Dr. Langer, fearless, yes, fearless. And he beats to his own drum. All of his colleagues love, love him because he beats to his own drum, right? So he goes back to the hospital where he knows he's going to get the most love, trust his team that he's built. And he's sitting there and he says, they say, how do you feel? He says, feeling lucky. What? Okay. You didn't make the connection. He said, after a successful surgery, before he went on vacation, you got to celebrate these because the other side of Lady Luck, you don't know what you're going to get. An amazing achievement to give this kid a new life and a fa their family, you know, a, an incredible new opportunity to be with their child and to have life that they've never had before. And then he, he gets on the other side of it. Exactly what he said. Exactly what he said. And then he's in that moment and, he's, and, 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 and it goes on and, and, and he talks about that after having this near-death experience, he has a new perspective on life that we're here to give, that we're here to love. And it's such a genuine, like heartfelt story and, and, and so authentic and so full of inspiration and so full of love. And I think he's, he mentions it's, you know, he, he had to go through a near-death experience to wake up and say that this is how he wants to live. We don't have to do that. Can we just like see that and say, mm, maybe I should consider that? And I think a lot of us, and, and I was certainly want, the first one to say this, is that we have to experience pain in order to learn things. First of all, I 100% believe that that has truth. But I also believe, and I've had this happen to me in my life, and I'm sure many of us have had this happen to us in our lives, is that we can also learn things from joy. We can also learn things from gratitude. We can also learn things from incredible experiences of, of, of love and compassion and kindness. And so, like, what if we chose to do that more frequently? What if we chose to be our own drummer to, to our own music? You know, it's, you know, another feeling that I, I just, way to describe the feeling that, that, that the feelings that are emerging, the feelings that I'm coming in contact with, the feelings that I'm feeling, it's almost like, when you have something that you don't use, what happens? You know, metal, it rusts. You know, a language, you forget how to speak it. Writing, you don't write, you're like, you know, I, I guess writing is something that's so ingrained in us as children when we're in school, you're always going to kind of remember, right? But when it's something that's, that's complex as something, you know, I'll say it's complex because so many of us are, are, are focused on everything outside, is what's inside to me feels like it's almost like a musical instrument. I don't know how to play any instruments. <laughs> I don't at all. But this feels like it's an instrument and that in order to play, you just need to find the silence. You need to find the peace and you need to just give yourself the opportunity to listen, give yourself the opportunity to be in the moment, right? And then finding little ways to do that, finding little ways to be present, and finding little ways to, to, 
Use that energy to connect with others and engage with others and not just others, but things that we love to do. You know, find our passion, find what it is that we're here for. Find that. We can do that. We just have to give ourselves a chance. We just have to give ourselves a chance, right? And if we can do that, you know, just like when we're learning as we're children, we're learning our letters, right? We can't write words until we learn our letters, right? You can't play music until, you know, some some will say you don't need to know the notes. You can go by feeling absolutely correct. Another like mark towards doing and operating from feelings instead of feeling instead of from words that are incredibly limiting in and of themselves. Right. But it's the only way we know how to communicate these days is words. Everybody's nobody really communicates with feelings on a consistent basis. And so, you know, we get to that place and 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 we find and we find that and we feel that connection. And, and then we keep giving it love. We keep giving it attention because where we put our attention is where our energy goes. Our energy flows where our attention goes. You know, so many people say that. So many people say that. Joe Dispenza says that. And I'm sure there's thousands of other people that say that, right? And if we're honest with ourselves, going back to the electron, as it goes outward, what happens? Energy is consumed. And then as you focus inward, it emits light, the electron. As we focus inward, we feel energy. I mean, at least I did. I mean, I could tell you that right now. And so how do we do that? Can we try that? And Dr. Langer, wow, what an incredible inspiration. What an incredible story. And what an incredible level of fearlessness to go back to your hospital, go back to where you know your people are that love you, and to be in an environment in which you trust the circumstances, you trust that everything's happening. And you, and as you as you said, Try to find the reason in it. Try to find the, 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 uh, uh, an opportunity in it, right? If we can find opportunities in, in, in what life gives us instead of trying to force what we think we know we want, magic can start to happen. Magic, literal magic. Yeah, Harry Potter, that kind of stuff. Maybe if you feel it and you believe it, I mean, it's not going to happen day one, right? Do you start speaking sentences as a child? Day one, no, <laughs> it takes years for you to do that. I was watching a documentary on Disney called Dolphin Reef. Beautiful documentary, nature and dolphins and whales and fish and all this good stuff. And they're following this, this dolphin named Echo who's trying to grow up. And, and he's, he looks like a fully adult dolphin. And, you know, if you look at him relative to the pod, but he's still learning. He's like probably an adolescent teenager. And they talked about uh, a skill that he was trying to learn where the dolphins would go to go to this 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 kind of shallow area and there would be all these razorfish and they would go dig themselves into the sand. Now I know why they're called razorfish, because they're like razor blades and they just mm, dig down. <laughs> and so, so these razorfish and all the adult dolphins that all know this skill that takes that they said takes years to develop where they use sonar and uh, sonar location and and the ability to find them and then dig in and get it. All the adults are catching fish. They're digging their they're digging their noses in the sand and and following through and pulling out the fish. And he 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 finds it. And oh, the fish swims away. Fish swims away. He's not following through. He's not following through. When you learn how to play basketball, what do they say? You got to follow through. You got to follow through. If you don't follow through, you ain't going to make nothing. If you don't follow through, you're looking for the, you're trying to get the rebound because you know it's not going in. You don't follow through. You got to follow through. Poor little Echo. 
He was learning. He ain't learned yet, at least from what, at least from the chronicle of the documentary, you know. But what an incredible like metaphor, not metaphor, not even a metaphor, but an incredible story within nature that is almost is the same thing as we got to give things time. We all want things happening now. That's where we are in our world. Instant gratification. Right. And again, our world. Of course, we're in a common world with 8 billion or however many people there are, but we're all in our own worlds. If we're honest with ourselves, we're all in our own worlds, all in our own thoughts, all in our own feelings. And so how do we, how do we, how do we give ourselves the chance to be in that awareness and to realize that everything that's happening outside of us is so far less important than what's happening inside of us and allow us to reclaim control of our energy? Get our energy back. Get back to our energy. Feel the feeling. Feel the feeling. I've got a feeling. Yes, I certainly do. (laughs) You know, we all do. We all have feelings. It's just, can we realize that there's an opportunity to feel good feelings way more frequently than, than negative feelings, which is, was the status quo for my life for my whole life. Man, so much opportunity. What? So much opportunity. Everything's connected. Electrons, negative charge of the, of the atom in every atom that is in all of matter in all of our universe. Perfectly round, doesn't weigh anything as far as we can measure or, or tell. Yet, we don't even consider that that could maybe be something that, oh, by the way, some scientists have said that the body has a net positive charge. Does the possibility exist that the body, which is where the feelings come from, where we feel the feelings is in our body, that we can create positive charges that could then potentially influence electrons? Like electrons bounce from thing to one thing to another. You know, and talking about this universal intelligence, I don't think that you can have a universal intelligence that gives ourselves the perspective to realize and have awareness to that in our own consciousness. If it's so universal, like there needs to be something within all that is that, that has core intelligence to which it can then react to, to which it, it can then do stuff with, right? Something to think about. Like Einstein says, again, everyone knew it was impossible until a fool who didn't know came along and did it. I'm not trying to do anything. I'm just trying to live life, trying to see and be aware to certain things and be aware to the possibilities that, you know, again, all, all potentials exist in the present moment. All potentials, literally all of them. If we can give things, give people kindness and appreciation and gratitude, patience is the gift we get in return in which we don't have to think about time. You're like, patience is a gift? What? Could be, if you choose it or not. You do you. We all do us. Everybody makes their own choices. Everybody's on their own path. No reason to criticize anybody. No reason to criticize anybody. Nobody understands anyone's perspective better than that person. Yet we, yet we, yet we look at people and immediately form opinions, judgments. Don't even give that person an opportunity to speak before we even like, like label them. That's something that I think we all can work on. You know, I'm working on it. You know, it's something that I've learned and, 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 and have had more appreciation for most certainly, you know, in the last, in the last eight months of my life. And it's, and it's, and it's becoming more and more of a thing in which 
it's it's not something that that I've that I've realized has any value whatsoever. None does has nothing. It does nothing for for anyone, me, my world, or or anybody else to have any criticism for for anyone for anything. Everybody makes their own choices. Everybody has their own path. Everybody's on their own journey to 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 live their life however they so choose. So we have no real right to 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 criticize anyone really but as i say that everybody's free to their own choices so if that's something you want to do you do you that's something you don't want to do cool glad we've gotten to that point because i feel we could be so much more compassionate to one another than i think a lot of us give ourselves credit for or a lot of us feel in a in a lot of scenarios that if we're a group scenario to be compassionate and be kind is is an anomaly almost sometimes you know and and using that same kind of element is 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 everybody's looking at you now because you decided to be kind and they're saying oh why you got to be i mean blah, 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 blah. like just do you if that's what you feel and that's what you want to do then just do you and if you're doing that then good for you good for you please spread that love spread that love you're choosing joy, you're choosing happiness, you're choosing to experience happiness by giving that love. And you're not even thinking about that. You're not even thinking about that. And that's the other thing is, is, is we, feel, we feel that we're being generous. We all this concept of generosity. You know, talking about Chicago Med, there was an episode that just aired where the, 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 this big mogul billionaire dude like bought the hospital and, 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 and there was this thing incredibly rare condition that someone had. And one of the premises of the story is that he was being, this billionaire was being so generous to this family to fly them in private and bring them to the hospital and pay for their entire medical care. He was being so generous, yet he wanted a film crew there to capture it. Yet he wanted, he wanted this, he wanted that, he wanted this, he wanted that, he wanted all these things, but he was being so generous. How many of us are generous, whether we give a nice tip and then and then we get something back and we're like the hell I tipped them and this this isn't even this isn't even good were we really being generous genuinely generous or were we having an expectation of getting something in return because i think that if we're really honest with ourselves being generous means giving unconditionally without condition you're giving it because you're you're there's an appreciation you're giving we're giving it because there's 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 genuine love and, 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 and no attachment to, to the reason we're giving it because we're, we're doing it out of our, the kindness of our hearts. I have had that experience. Absolutely. Picking up takeout, you know, gave, gave whatever, a 20% tip, everything's wrong. And I get upset. Like, bah, 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 bah. like they can't get this right. I tip them, you know, come on. But again, there's an expectation. We have an expectation. When we, if we attach any expectations to generosity, I think we have to be honest with ourselves and say, that's not really generosity. We're trying to pay for something in return. We're trying to pay for something and get something back, right? Yet it's not the intention that we labeled it as, is generosity. And so if we're honest with ourselves and we ask why, and we go deeper and deeper and deeper and be in the awareness to say, how does, let's think about this, you know, giving something. And, and having something tied to it as an expectation, there's no giving there. If we're honest with ourselves, it's literally having an expectation and you want to call it generosity or label it that, 
We want to do that because it feels right. It feels full of love. Generosity is a word that's rooted in love. But if it doesn't have the intention tied to it that is unconditional, then for anyone to get upset after being generous to what occurs after being generous is selfish, truly selfish, the definition of selfishness, right? When generosity is supposed to be selfless, right? If we're honest with ourselves and we really look at what we're trying to achieve with generosity, right? I think there's two great, I've just got Albert Einstein quotes up here. Uh, that sort of speak to this. The first one, the value of a man should be seen in what he gives and not really in what he's able to receive, which is a great one. And then another one, which I think just in terms of trying to live and trying to focus on what you can do as best as possible and really without expectation, any man who can drive safely while kissing a pretty girl is simply not giving the kiss the attention it deserves. Thank you, Albert. And I think too, it's it's we're always consumed with what's next, right? Success is somewhere out there, somewhere out there. We're always chasing it. But what if success was looked at from the perspective of being a journey and being in the moment, in every moment on that journey and kind of letting things flow and letting things be and going with the universe instead of trying to force things? One of the most incredible examples of this, I started reading the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin recently. Benjamin Franklin, great statesman, for all of those that don't know, I feel like there's probably, you know, if, if we have international audience members, which I know we do, and thank you so much for tuning in. Benjamin Franklin was, was part of the, the Declaration of Independence signing and was a consulate to France and became our bridge during the American Revolution to kind of bring people together and, and, and make, sure, make sure everything that America wanted to happen happened, which ultimately resulted in the independence from, from, from England. But I didn't know this. And I thought, I mean, talk about someone that went along the, the, the stream of the river of life. Benjamin Franklin, when he was, I think he was, he dropped out of school or something when he was like 12 years old or something. Like there was some thing that happened or not really, can't really remember. He was the youngest of 17 children. And I think with his, with his father, it was the youngest of 13 children with a, with the mother, father combination there. He was the youngest. And at 17 years old, he realized that he wanted to be a printer, which I think a lot of us, if we're remembering our history classes in, in America, realize and remember that. And he got to a point with his brother, which was going to be his, his you know, master, and he was going to be the apprentice to his brother, who was already a printer. His brother, paraphrasing the, the kind of stories here, but his brother basically beat him physically, mentally, and or there's a kind of a section in his autobiography where he says that those experiences where his brother treated him the most awful that he felt a human could be treated, he promised himself that he would never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, when he was in a position of leadership, to treat anybody like that. In fact, the opposite of that, with compassion and with, and with love, is how he would lead and how he would inspire people, right? So to have that be something that he knows he's not, and to happen so young in life, to then define probably almost every moment that he lived going forward as to how he treated people. It's, it's an incredible example of seeing who we are not first, to then see who we are. And once we see who we are, whoa, watch out, because you know what? We know. That's something we know, because we went through an experience. We've gone through an experience. 
So that in and of itself, and, and, and I encourage you to, to check out, you know, kind of the, the full story. But basically, with that, he has, a, he, he has a thing with his brother. His brother publishes something that's against the crown of, of England. And so he's thrown in jail. And then Benjamin Franklin's like becomes the, the head person of this whole paper. And then his brother gets out of jail. And then he says, uh, and then his brother says, oh, publicly, we're going to say you're free. But we're going to have a side agreement in which you're basically my apprentice, slave, whatever, for the next 10 years, right? And so he says, no, I'm not doing that. And he had to conjure up this story to leave and to get out of this whole situation, to leave town. So he had to leave town. He had to leave town. He had to get out. He, he went to some printer that he knew and said, oh, yeah. And this was in Boston. He, he went to some printer in Boston that he knew and said, oh, yeah, go to New York. I know someone there. They, should, they might be able to give you a job. So he gets a friend to get him on a, on a boat to, to New York, 300 miles away. Doesn't really know for sure if he has a, if he has a job. Gets all of his books. He sold most of his books because those were his possessions. And he did it. And he went on this boat, showed up in New York, went to the printer. He said, oh, no, sorry, don't have a job for you. But you can go to my colleague then Philadelphia. And, you know, the, the head printer just passed away. And I think, you know, so that's how, all right. So instead of saying, I think you might have a job, someone literally in that position just died. So there's probably a better chance. So, you know, he'll check that out. And so he gives him the address and, but Philadelphia is way for, he went from Boston to New York, and then he had to go from, from New York to, to Philadelphia. So more travel. And again, not with any certainty of anything, a 17-year-old traveling about trying to find his way in life, right? So he gets on, uh, uh, they called boats something back then. Uh, I want to say schooner. It wasn't a schooner. It was much more unique, like odd name than that. But, but he gets on this boat and uh, it's a smaller boat and they basically crash. There were storms and, and the sails were thrashed and, and they landed on Long Island, on the rocks off Long Island. And they were for over 30 hours without any what they called victuals with their food and drink or anything. And they just had one bottle of rum that they shared. Oh, and by the way, one of the one of the guys that was on the same boat, he fell into the water and was going to drown. And so Benjamin Franklin had to go save him, pull him up and said, you're right. He's like, yeah, well, I guess the drowning like kind of woke me up a little bit. <laughs> So, so, so he saved the guy's life. And then he's, then, then, then the, there's a, there's a, there's something open and they're getting soaking wet. Then he has to wait till the next day. And then they finally find a way to get to shore. And then, and then he gets to shore and then someone tells him, oh, in order to get to, to, to Philadelphia after crash landing on Long Island, which wasn't expected, you got to go to this town called Burlington. But the town in Burlington was 50 miles away. And so what does he do? Walks. No cars, no taxis, no Uber. He walks. So Benjamin Franklin, 17 years old, only has the clothes on his back because his, his, his chest with the few books and clothes that he has is following him to, to Philadelphia. I guess he sent a telegram or they didn't have that back then. They sent some sort of communication to whoever had his chest on the original one that was supposed to land in New York that it needs to go to Philadelphia now. And so he walks three days, three days on foot. And the first morning, he gets completely soaked because it's pouring rain. So from like the first thing in the morning until the midday, he, he gets soaked and drenched and then finds an inn and, and, and stays there overnight and then continues on his way and ultimately gets to, gets to the town of Burlington. And when he arrives in Burlington, it's a Saturday, late morning, and he finds out that all the boats just left. 
All the boats to Philadelphia just left. And the next boat isn't leaving till Tuesday. What do you do? Do you get upset? No, he goes with the flow. So he bought a gingerbread cookie from some nice old woman in town earlier in the day. And once he found out the boats weren't running and he went to go ask her advice. And so she says, oh, stay with me. You know, I'll make you dinner. And, and, you know, like, first of all, that's not something that really happens today. Right. You know, some random stranger showing up at their doorstep saying, oh, you made me a gingerbread cookie. You know, come stay with me tonight. Doesn't happen. So they made a beautiful dinner. And then he, after dinner, he wanted to do, wanted to walk off his ox cheek because he didn't, he didn't eat meat. His Benjamin Franklin was vegetarian. All he could help for the, for the most that he could help it. And so he was walking by the river and he saw this little boat and he started talking to him and engaging with them that same night that he landed there, that he was trying to, to, that he was going to stay in this woman, the gingerbread woman's house. <laughs> he finds a boat and they're saying, oh, he's like, oh, we're going to Philadelphia. He's like, really? He's like, can I come? And he's pocket. And he gave the copper shilling to the, to the head of the boat and said, take this. And they said, no, 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 you rowed all night. You don't need to pay. You paid with your labor of working and rowing, you know? He said, no, no, no. Like, that's the right thing to do, you know? Like, take it. And so then he, he get, they, I think they landed at Market Street Wharf. And then he goes into town and he finds, he finds um, uh, a baker and he asks for bread. And they don't have the same breads that they had in Boston. All he knows is that he can, he's like, what can I get for three pennies? Because that's what he gave in, in, in Boston. Come to find out, he gets these three massive like loaves. He's like, whoa, I'll take it. Three pennies. This is all I, I get all this. This is great. So he starts eating one. And then the other two, he plays, he said he puts one under each arm and he starts walking back to the wharf. And he gets back to where the boat that he left. And he took both of the breads that were extra. You know, hopefully there wasn't too much armpit stench. I don't know. Probably not. You know, I think he gave it out of love. I don't know. But I thought it was funny. Or they're under his arms and this dirty guy just gave two loaves of bread to people. But, you know, whatever. Perspective, right? And so, and so he gave it to a mother and child that were on that boat with the intention of love that they had not eaten anything. And they were going to continue their journey wherever it is that they were going. And then walking, walking back through town, he happened to walk by his future wife's house, saw her, and he said he looked in shambles, and she probably thought that, and she was right, but that ended up being his future wife, and then saw his future father-in-law also during that first day that he was in Philadelphia, which I thought was quite ironic. And then he ran into somebody and, or he started following a, a, a crowd of like nicely dressed people. He's like, oh, these people must be like going someplace. Like, let me, let me go, let me follow them, you know? And he found out that they were Quakers and they were going to a Quaker like uh, session or meeting or whatever. And so they went into a Quaker house and they sat down and he fell asleep. And so that's the first, that's the, I got goosebumps all over. Is that right, Benjamin? <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> So here's a guy who we all know his achievements, you know, electricity discovery during his own time with the key and the kite and all that good stuff and all these inventions and all these relationships and all declaration of independence, all these incredible things. Now he's on a hundred dollar bill. And this was a guy that had nothing. He had nothing, literally nothing, no connections, no money, no clothes. That's it. He made choices. He went with the flow of life. And so all of us that are here saying, oh, I can't do that. I got this. I got that. Look at this guy. Look at Benjamin Franklin. 17 years old. He had nothing. He went with the flow of life. Trusted that what, what, what should happen would happen. Was compassionate. Was loving. And look what happened. Look at what happened to him. And look what he's known for. One of the most influential people that has ever walked among us. 
as Einstein says, first connects with their spirit and only then do they connect with their physical selves. And only then do we recognize who they are among us in our society, right? So Benjamin Franklin had one Dutch dollar, one copper shilling at 17 years old with dirty clothes on his back in Philadelphia. And, and look, look, what, look what he achieved in his life by making choices in every moment throughout every, not every moment, I mean, but, but progressively more moments in every day, right? Giving us ourselves the opportunity to have, you know, off moments and off days and this and that, and, and being able to come back and say, that sucked, but moving on and, and choosing and move, continuing to move towards what we want. But first, we got to define what we want. As Oprah says, Oprah's given so many speeches, so many speeches to, to, to graduating classes in which they, people ask her in many different interviews that I've seen where people ask her, what's the, mo- what's the best advice you can give? Figure out what it is that you want. Figure out what it is that your, your, your dream is. You know, back to what John Rahm said. John Rahm said, I, I, I am who I am because I dream it and then I believe it. And adding to that, he's made choices to get there. Choices, the power of choices and little moments to move you there and get you there and, and, and continue to move you there and give ourselves credit and celebrate those things, right? Celebrate those things. Oh my God, look at the great choices I made today. Might've only been two or three, but that's okay. Because you know what? Like time doesn't exist. It's an illusion. So stop thinking about it. Right? Right. Stop. And it doesn't have to be like, it's not going to be a cold, cold turkey. Stop thinking about time. It's going to give us, give ourselves an opportunity to every once in a while, like be in the flux of relativity, be in the present moment, be engaged with someone, be engaged with nature, be engaged with, with, with our soul of what, of what we feel and our intuition, be engaged. Can we be engaged? And when we do that, not only do we forget about time, but we're fearless. We are fearless, fearless, absolutely fearless. No fear. I'll be the first to admit. I've mentioned previously, careful when we have dreams and we have certain things that we believe and sharing it with those that we think are our support or we, or we, or our family or our friends. And they, they genuinely love us, but just as we are, they are too conditioned in this in the, in in a lot of limitations and it's an immediate oh that's not possible that's impossible impossible is simply a dictionary definition we're going to find that quote and say who said that because i know someone said that you'll hear me say that frequently because it's so important to remember impossible is only a dictionary definition right and so could we give ourselves credit to not be and if we're honest with ourselves before even say anything to anybody else the first person the first one who throws daggers of doubt and spears of fear. We do it to ourselves. We have this dream. We have this thing that we want to achieve. And the first thing we say is, oh, we can't do that. Or we got to do all these things in order to do that. We're the first ones that do that to ourselves. I'll admit, done that, been there, still doing it, working on it. (laughs) It's not easy. But if we give ourselves a chance and say, no, I believe this. I trust myself. I trust this feeling that I have. If we can feel the feeling that, like, what if we gave our intuition kind of this definition just for reference that any good thing that happens in our lives and any good thought that comes from our, from our imagination and from our feeling is from our intuition. And it's all 
Anything that's good comes from there. And anything that's good, if we just follow and we give it a chance and we don't we don't throw daggers of doubt at our own dreams. We don't throw we don't throw spears of fear at our own dreams. We're the first ones that do that before we even say anything to anybody else. And then and then when we're doing it, we do it again. And then when we and then we start doing it and we're like we're on the path and we do it again. Because you know what? We're like, "Oh, this is too good to be true." No! Stop! We don't need to do that. It's not necessary. Or at least can we give ourselves a chance to not do that and then see what happens? Do we need to immediately say, oh, no, we can't do that? What does that do? That sends us backwards. That sends us down. That sends us into what we don't want, right? Using our imagination, connecting with our imagination. One of the most imaginative people that's ever walked among us, Walt Disney. Walt Disney came up with Mickey Mouse on a train from Manhattan to Hollywood in which people were telling him, you're going to be bankrupt. You're going to, you're, you're failing. What pops into his head, Mickey Mouse. Read a quote later that talked about when he was a child and he was living in a garage. He would have mice running across his, his like table and he would draw the mice. Talk about a seed that's planted when you're a child and that seed, you might not have watered it, but it popped up again. Where, where the past, the present, and the future all exist in the present moment, of course that popped in because that was a seed that was planted. And then it became what it became. He said so many times, it all, this all started because of a mouse. <laughs> this all started because of a mouse. And then you look at some of the things Walt Disney says, the way that he leads, the way that he has, has inspired generations of people, Imagineers. Why can't we all just be Imagineers? Right? Can we all please be Imagineers? Mark Rober, incredible YouTube sensation, bringing engineering back to, 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 to the forefront of, of children and helping, helping inspire young minds to, 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 to look at things in a way that's practical. I just watched an episode that, that a, a, colleague, a colleague and friend of mine, Julia, sent me. Thank you, Julia. Where it was 20 minutes and they talked about um, this incredible organization called, called Zipline. And they're doing these uh, drones and they're doing these, these autonomous delivering packages and, you know, all the stuff we saw on Amazon Super Bowl commercial like years ago that hasn't happened yet. Right. So like they're working on that stuff. But, you know, one of the first things they did was they they worked on a on a on a program in Africa to deliver emergency medical supplies, whether it be blood or whether it be medicines within moments where where. Mark Rober, one of the examples, he gets in a car to drive to the hospital. It takes him four hours. They launch, he sends a request on his phone to the to where to, to show how fast. Within minutes, the drone drops the parachute and lands right there. Drops the parachute. They've been doing this for six years. It looks like an aircraft carrier flinging that drone off and then and then and then it and then it drops it at the perfect point at the hospital. And then it comes right back and then it catches it. And then they had disassemble and put it all back together. They have reduced maternal mortality by 88% in Rwanda. 88% maternal mortality. How incredible. What an incredible story of people of, with, with, with prioritizing, using technology and prioritizing compassion to, to put it in a place in which it can matter the most and have the most impact. With a society that only 30 years ago experienced a genocide. Can't even put into words something like that. Yet they provide data in the episode where 
They're some of the most happiest people on the planet. Some of the happiest people on the planet. Once a week, like, or once a month or once every other week, the entire community does something for the neighborhood, does something for the community. They all come together. We don't need to go through struggle. It's, it's a way that it happens. But it, what, if, what if we chose to do those things without having to be in that circumstance of, of pain? What an incredibly terrible thing for, for a country and a people to go through. And then to now be some of the happiest people 30 years later, in one of the happiest societies on the planet in Rwanda, and the, to chronicle one of the stories of, of Abdul, wow, what an incredible soul. His family was murdered. His entire family was murdered when he was a child. And he worked with Zipline to, to, to perfect, to, to, to build on perfection, to continue to evolve this, this, this solution for developing and, 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 and deploying these emergency supplies to these, to these remote areas of, of, of Rwanda. And, and to give and to have that platform to, to create something with so much love and so much compassion and to, to have come from where he came from. And to do it with such energy and such joy, you can see it, you can feel it. How incredible. You know, Mark Rober talking about, even in this video, he talked about the best scientists only learn by doing. They learn by experimenting. So what if we took that same logic and applied it to our own lives to not engineer a thing, which has, of course, could have value and could have, you know, great, great elements of, of, you know, kind of joy for putting something into. But what if instead of trying to engineer something for just a moment, we engineer our life and we apply that same principle, apply that same principle of trying things, apply that same principle of experimenting, giving ourselves a chance, giving ourselves a chance to be, giving ourselves a chance to connect with nature, giving ourselves a chance to try things and to choose things that we might not have ever chose, right? And the trust that and then not have an expectation of something might be too good to be true. Try it out. And you know what? When you're just feeling that it might be good to, too good to be true, the secret that I learned, gratitude, gratitude. Because you know what happens when we think that something's too good to be true? Fear. That's fear. That's fear. That is fear. We're fearing, oh my God, this can't be true because this is too, no. No, what if we just gave it, said, oh my God, thank you so much. Or just thank you so much for, for this opportunity. Thank you so much for these achievements. Thank you so much for me to be able to have made the choices to get to where I am now. Thank you. Thank you. And not having fear, eliminating fear. Bye, fear. Get out of here. I don't need you. We attract what we fear and we attract what we love. Some people call that the law of attraction, but it's just, plain true if we're honest with ourselves just plain true if we look at our lives and we reflect on the experiences that we've had and we're honest with ourselves pulling it all together one of the recurring themes throughout today's episode quote by walt disney if you can dream it you can do it but you gotta have a dream gotta have a dream first oprah said it john rob masters 2023 champion said it walt disney said it einstein said it Countless other people, including loved ones in our lives, inspirations in our lives, and our personal lives, have said it. We have this grand, as a society, these grand plans to go to the depths of space to find the origin of the Big Bang and the origin of the universe. What do we find? We find a galaxy formed 320 million years after the Big Bang, 33 billion light years away. And what does the scientist say? It has a heartbeat. 
what does the scientist say? It's generating stars as, as at a rate the same, same pace as our Milky Way, even though it's 100 times less massive. What is part of every atom? An electron. What is perfectly round? What has no mass? An electron. What has a negative charge? Body has a net positive charge. Could it be that how we think or what we think and what we feel bonds to those and then kind of forms the reality that comes into our consciousness and our awareness? Maybe, maybe. As Napoleon says, impossibility is only in the dictionary of fools. We don't want to be a fool. Who wants to be a fool? Nobody wants to be a fool. Come on now. No. Let's focus on what is possible. No fear. So easy to say, so hard to do. But if we can give ourselves the chance in a moment by moment to build upon those things, moment by moment to, to, to just be, moment by moment to realize where we've, where, what we've achieved and what we're building upon towards something that we've defined for ourselves is what we want. After connecting with what it is that's inside that we feel we should be doing, that's our intuition telling us, telling us, try this. And if it's a good thing, why not give it a chance? Why not give it a chance? I mean, I think most of us immediately say no. We're the first biggest doubters of our own consciousness and our own awareness and our own thoughts. Something good comes, oh, not possible. We're the first ones to do that. I was the first, absolutely. We all do it. But can, can we more frequently not do that? Can we more frequently allow things to bloom? Can we do that? Let yourself bloom. Saw a beautiful shirt walking the other day. Young young woman walking by. Another another shirt with some flowers on it. Let yourself bloom. Let yourself bloom. Why not? How, when have we ever given ourselves the opportunity to do that and to realize that our that our that our limits and our world that we've just lived in and and grow up in that that there's so many limits. And if little by little, or in one fell swoop, we we do our best to try not to think about those things. And then day by day, try and continue to be in, in an awareness of, of just being and being in our own world and not in, and, and being in control of our own world, and claiming our energy, claiming our energy. Can we claim our energy? It's within us. It's, it's all around us. When we're focusing outward, just as the electrons, when they go from the inside outward, they consume energy. But when, when, when we focus inward, as I can tell you through my experience, I've got, got some energy. I've got some energy. Could that be the electrons like generating that, creating that light? And when electrons go from the outward in, they emit energy and they emit photons and photons is light, right? Crazy. Is it crazy? I don't know. Maybe if we just give ourselves the opportunity to think about it.